Welcome to our Sunday Sermon Podcast with City Harvest AG Church. Wherever you are in life, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here at City Harvest, we believe in the undiluted Word of God and the teachings here will enhance your understanding of the Scripture and will help you grow and mature as a Christian. So we hope and pray that you will be blessed by this sermon. Today's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Shine Thomas. Open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I've titled today's message, The Miraculous Conception or The Miraculous Birth of Jesus Christ. I'm reading from the NIV version, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy scripture. The miraculous conception of Jesus was a result of God taking initiative to send his son into this world for the redemption of mankind, but that also involved the willing participation of two people. What is Joseph and Mary, obedience of Joseph and Mary. Well, this is a very familiar text that we, most of the time, we remember during the Advent season. And uh, most of you would have heard a lot of messages on this. But I want to have a closer look with my uh, meditation on the scripture and drive some application for our life based on the miraculous conception. Now, the writer of this gospel is supposed to be Matthew. And Matthew is writing this gospel after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these are post-resurrection memories of Jesus. And what is happening during Matthew's time? When Matthew is writing, there is a talk that is going around in the town right from the time of Jesus that whose son is Jesus? He's a son of some illicit relationship between Mary and somebody was the talk of the town. And also people talk that Jesus when he was buried in the tomb somebody stole the body of Jesus and the resurrection was faked. That was the story and the slander going around in the time of Matthew. So Matthew is writing this gospel to the Jewish audience to prove against the slander that Jesus is in fact the son of God. 
You see how beautifully he has arranged the gospel, just like in the book of Genesis. He starts with the genealogy in chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. And to show in the genealogy, beautifully, Matthew brings out that Jesus is the son of Abraham or the son of David. And he proves it that he has come through the line of David and the son of Abraham. He starts the genealogy all the way from Abraham, comes to David, and then he comes all the way to Jesus Christ through Joseph. But when you see Matthew chapter 1 was 18 to 25... He is proving another angle of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is showing to us very clearly that he is not only the son of David or the son of Abraham, but he is also the son of God by the miraculous birth. So it's a foolproof method of how he has addressed the people who are telling that Jesus was born in an illegitimate way. Matthew is proving to us that on one side he is the son of David, but on the other side, truly, he is the son of God. And there is no way one can talk about the way Jesus has been born. So look at the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ. And today we are going to look at this miraculous conception. And first of all, we can find that the conception is confirmed by the message of the angel. Both to Mary and in gospel of Luke and to Joseph over here in the gospel according to Matthew. So first of all, the miraculous conception confirmed. Matthew chapter 1 and this verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, it's very clearly the Bible says they were never staying together. But she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I want to look a little bit into Mary's life. And not much is said in the Bible about Mary. But we can know from a little understanding of the Bible that Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ, undoubtedly. And then we can find a little bit about Mary in the writings of John, that Mary had a sister, the wife of Cleophas, on the foot of the cross. Mary has a sister and she was also there at the foot of the cross watching the Messiah crucified. And what is her name? Her name apparently also happens to be Mary, which is a very common name in those times. So Mary had a sister. And when you see the gospel according to Luke, we can find that Mary had a cousin called Elizabeth. And uh, she went and visited her when she was pregnant. And there is a cousin mentioned over there. And then also we can find in the genealogy that Luke mentions that Mary had a father called Healy, H-E-L-I. And that was, that's all we find the mention about Mary in the scripture. But one thing that stands out when we see the life of Mary for this divine conception to take place is that Mary submitted to the word of God. Whatever was her life, no matter where she lived, she knew the scripture. And whenever the word of God came to her, she submitted totally to the Lord's word. In Luke chapter 1 verse 38, when the angels said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be found with child. Look what Mary is telling in, I am the Lord's servant. 
Mary answered, may your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She submitted herself to the Lord's word. You're hearing messages after messages on Sundays. And so many God's servants come and preach the word of God. But do you ever submit yourself? Do I ever submit ourselves to the word of God that we hear Sunday after Sunday or whenever God gives us an opportunity? But Mary had an attitude of submitting herself Whenever she heard from God and she knew this is God speaking, she submitted herself to the word of God. And then also we can find in Luke chapter 1 verse 43 that blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. In other words, Mary was a woman of faith. She believed God no matter what circumstances she went through. An amazing example of a godly woman over here. She is a lady who believed God. Not only submitted to God's word, but when she went through trials, when she went through difficulties, she believed God and she held on to that anchor that God is in control of our life. Do you believe God? In the difficult times of your life when things are not working out right for you, are you trusting God or are you doubting God this time? She was a woman who submitted to God and she was a woman of faith. She believed God. And thirdly, what was the foundation on which she submitted herself to God? And what was the basis on which she believed God? Primarily, Mary was a woman who was a good student of the word of God. She knew the scripture. In her context, she knew the Old Testament very well. How do you know that, Pastor? You look at the Magnificat. Look at the song that Mary sings in chapter 2 of Luke. It is filled with quotations from the Old Testament. And see the connection. She connects to the Abrahamic covenant. She connects to the psalmist's prayer. She connects to what the Isaiah says. Many, many connections to the Old Testament and when she break forth in praise to God because of this miraculous conception, she's quoting scripture and this is a woman who was plugged into the word of God. By the way, you know what is the meaning of the name Mary? In Greek, it's called Miriam or uh, Miriam means uh, bitterness or sea of sorrow or some say Miriam means rebellious. Here is a woman not a, with not a very good name. She has got a very tag, bad tag attached to her name. But she's a godly woman portrayed in the Bible. She wasn't rebellious. She wasn't bitter. But she's a woman of faith, a woman of scripture and obedient to the word of God. Then the Bible says that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. She was engaged, not married. And uh, in the olden days, in biblical times, the engagement and marriage had a time period that would lapse between the engagement and the marriage. Literally, the boy's family would go to the girl's house and pay a price to receive the girl. In Indian culture, the boy's family demands dowry, which is not good, which is not right biblically. And, uh, and in fact, in the biblical culture, right in the Old Testament, you see in Genesis, we can find the price has been paid for the bride. And not only the price, they come with a gift what the father wants. In Genesis 34 and verse 12, we can find the price. Uh, they pay for the bride and the gift they come when they come and ask for a girl. And I believe Joseph's father and mother and probably his family, some elders would have come and paid a heavy price for this engagement. 
given to Mary's dad as a security amount and the engagement have happened, but that engagement is us binding as a marriage because in the text we can find that they are not staying together, the marriage has not yet happened, but Joseph is thinking in his mind to divorce. In other words, if the engagement has happened, it is so binding that if you want to separate that engagement, you have to have a literal divorce, a public notice of divorce. In other words, it was so binding. So Joseph and his family has gone and paid a price and they have come and the marriage would happen anywhere between 6 to 12 months and he's preparing for marriage and Mary is ready for the marriage and in the meantime without knowing any man here is a godly woman in some way house at Nazareth and she has a godly visitation and she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She was purely virgin. There was no fault of us in Matthew chapter 1 and his verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And look at the clarity of the scripture here. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Here we can find a virgin conceived in the Holy Spirit. Virginity is uh, is looked upon by God in great respect. God looks with great concern on virginity. Let me talk to you and challenge you young people who are listening to me. God values virginity and if you keep yourself pure. Virginity is a sacred thing. Even though we are living in a world of living relationships and people are not bothered about their moral side, but God values virginity and it is not something to be trifled with. It is not something to be played with. And we are reminded on how beautiful, how lovely is virginity when I see the case of Mary and how she was honored because she was a virgin and a woman devoted to God. Let it be a challenge to our young people that until God unites us in marriage, I will keep myself pure because that is what God honors and uses us greatly if we are pure and devoted in the presence of the Almighty God. Okay, moving forward, the scripture protects Mary and says of the virgin birth again and again, twice in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, and again in the gospel according to Luke, we can find it was by the Holy Spirit, the creator Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit who created church right on the day of Pentecost when people get together, the Holy Spirit created church and transformed this group of people into church that is spread worldwide now. The Holy Spirit that was hovering over the waters and was instrumental at creation created in the womb of Mary, the heavenly God come into us flesh as Jesus Christ who was born in flesh. We saw now the miraculous conception. Moving forward, I want to take you to the miraculous conception confronted. Now, when Joseph comes to know about this conception, he wanted in his mind to confront Mary. And what does he do? Matthew chapter 1 and this verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, now notice very clearly, it's not that would-be husband. When you are engaged, you are already called husband in biblical times, in that biblical world. So Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Now I want to 
stick a little on the life of Joseph to understand and bring this message into conclusion. Because Joseph's husband, not at married, only engagement has taken place. The Bible calls her husband because he is literally the husband and he has to divorce her if he wants to separate this marriage. And was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph is a Greek name that can be translated as carpenter or mason. A carpenter had to work with his hands and probably mix some uh, concrete in his hands for the structure that he erects. But he worked with his hands and Joseph was a hardworking man. He worked with his hands and provided for his family. And Joseph had to deal with this thing. And what, what does the Bible talk about Joseph? Again, come to Matthew chapter 1 verse 19. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. See very clearly what the Bible mentions about the quality of Joseph. Matthew has put Joseph in the same line like Luke has testified about Zechariah and Elizabeth or Simeon. You know, they were faithful and devout, righteous people. And here, Matthew is pointing out uh, Joseph to be faithful to the law. He was a true Old Testament saint. He was faithful to the law that was given. He was a righteous man. And uh, what a status Bible gives Joseph. Joseph was faithful to the scripture, just like Mary or Elizabeth or Zechariah. Thirdly, we can find that Joseph was a compassionate man. He was not only faithful to the scripture, that faithfulness to the scripture translated in how he looked at others with compassion. Friends, one side we need to be godly people rooted in the scripture, but on the other side, it has to reflect in our compassion to the world around us. And here is a perfect man, a man whom the scripture says that he was not only a man rooted in the scripture, but here is a man who is a compassionate man. Do we have this compassion to the people that are suffering? Do we have this compassion to the ones who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel? Amen. We need to be faithful to the scripture, but that should result in a missional heart, a compassionate heart. You see, when he wanted to confront this pregnancy and he wanted to quietly give her the divorce, we can find the miraculous conception clarified by the angel, a divine messenger comes and clarifies this conception to Joseph. Matthew chapter 1 and this verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I want you to listen to this passage. It's loaded with meaning and uh, I would like to give you some, but just listen to this passage. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, some things to be noted in this passage is that, firstly, we can find an angelic communication over here. And Matthew again brings an angel in chapter 2. And different times in his gospel, he brings an angelic communication. Luke brings that. And uh, where man could not communicate, God is finding a means to communicate to both to Mary 
and to Joseph. And here we can find an angelic communication. Friends, my God is a powerful God. He has various ways in which he can communicate to mankind. And here God has used the medium of an angel to communicate to Joseph. Secondly, look at the address of the angel to Joseph. Very clearly the scripture, God himself is testifying in the scripture that the angel is calling Joseph, not just Joseph, but Joseph, son of David. Look at that clarification. Very clearly, Matthew, when portraying that Jesus is the son of God, he's also balancing and tell he's a God man. He's also the son of David and clarified by the message from heaven and message through the angels. My Jesus is a hundred percent man, but he's also a hundred percent God, the son of God and the son of David. And that's the Jesus that we serve. Joseph. Son of David. You know, and then in verse 21, he gives further instruction. The angel gives further instruction. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus in Hebrew is coming from the word Joshua or Yeshua or Jehoshua, which means Jehovah will save his people. In other words, the, with the very message of Joseph, the purpose of Jesus is clarified by heaven that here is a son of God coming into this world who can bring salvation to the people who believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. He will save his people from his sins. Jehovah will save. Now listen to that word a little more carefully. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Matthew makes it very clear that the deliverance that Jesus is going to bring to people is the deliverance from sins. No other deliverance. It's very clear in this passage. He's silent about the earthly troubles that this Jesus is going to bring. Definitely he's a comforter. He helps us in our trouble. He's with us. But look at the announcement of Jesus' birth by the angel. The primary purpose, the primary reason that Jesus has come is not to bless us, but to save us from our sins. And that is the true blessings for a child of God. So you come to Jesus for salvation and cleansing from our sins. And that's the primary reason why somebody has to come to Jesus Christ. And remember, Israel is in Roman dominion. They are oppressing the Jewish people. And they are taking the taxes and they have no freedom. And remember, the angel never said that Jesus is going to be a Messiah from the Romans. The message was simple. He is going to save his people from their sins. And even today, the message of Jesus is simple and clear. That he has come to bring salvation and redemption of sins for those who have strayed away from God because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Amen? That's the message of the gospel. Look at one more thing in this passage. He will save his people from their sins. Who are the people? Who are the people that Matthew is mentioning? Matthew is primarily talking to the Jewish crowd. In other words, Matthew is starting with the Jews 
And as he is developing his gospel, he's developing the people group, not only from Israel, but he's developing towards the end of his gospel, that people become the whole ethnic group of the world. Every nation, every tongue, every caste, every language, every ethnic groups are the people for whom Jesus came into this world. Amen? See how Matthew beautifully puts it. Now he's telling people, in a sense, to the Jewish people. And as the gospel proceeds, he's answering, Jesus is answering the Pharisees. And he's telling in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you people. In other words, you Israelites and given to a people. It's talking about the kingdom of God. It's talking about anybody who wants to be saved and wants to come in the salvation grace of Jesus and will be given to a people who will produce the fruit of the kingdom. Amen. And then by the time Matthew ends his gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he's further developing that people group, and they're telling, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, in, in the literal sense, all jati, or all ethnic group. And that is what is represented today in the churches around the world, that Jesus has come for all ethnic groups, and we are here from different parts of India, different parts of the world, and we have been saved by Jesus and that's the purpose of the advent of Jesus into this world. Amen? He will save his people and today, even today the gospel, Jesus is calling every ethnic group to be a part of the kingdom of God and we are to take this message to the different ethnic groups that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, very beautifully, it says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man must be saved. Now listen one more thing in this text. She will give birth to a son, okay? Remember, it is not Joseph's son mentioned by Matthew. Matthew never gives credit to Joseph as the father of Jesus. He's the adopted father, but he's not the real father. He's telling it is Mary's son. And look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream after the birth of Jesus. Get up. He said, take the child and his mother. What would we say? You'd go and take your child and go. But then the angel said very clearly, he's not your son. Is Mary's son. The seed of the woman. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Is mentioned again and again in the New Testament. Telling that take Mary and her son. Not Joseph's son. And Matthew chapter 2 verse 19 and 20. After Herod that died. After went to Egypt. And Herod died. It was time for them to return back. When Herod died. The angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And said get up. Take the child and his mother. Very clear portrayal that Jesus is the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph, because he is indeed the son of God. So what we saw in this passage is the miraculous birth conception confirmed and uh, confronted. Joseph was in a confrontation mode and the miraculous conception clarified by the angel to Joseph. 
And now Matthew gets into a little bit of commentary after the angel's communication and he starts reflecting on the scripture and Matthew beautifully brings how the miraculous birth is connected to the Old Testament scripture. Miraculous conception connected. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, this is Matthew's commentary. Matthew is writing and adding on to this miraculous birth. And he's reflecting on the scripture. And he comes with an amazing finding that this was already prophesied in the scripture. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means, God with us. Miraculous birth or virgin birth connected to the Old Testament. Virgin birth is not a last minute afterthought of some people or God. It's the angel is not speaking anymore. Matthew is connecting to the Old Testament prophecy somewhere around 735 BC before Christ. That prophecy that came through Isaiah and Matthew is looking at Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 probably and he's telling this is the plan of God even before the creation of the world. God decided at the appointed time to send his son Jesus and what we find in Mary and Joseph and the child that is there is the promise that God has given to mankind much, much, much before. Miraculous birth we can find connected to the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 we can find that prophecy. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this is somewhere around 735 BC. King Ahaz was the king of Judah and his brothers in the north, the kingdom of Israel, they have become arch rivals. The Israel is coming and fighting against Judah and now they have become even more powerful because they have allied with the Syrians and they are trying to come and attack Judah down south and Ahaz is afraid and God sends the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz and Isaiah comes and prophesies a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him the name Emmanuel. And if you literally see this, this prophecy fulfilled in King Ahaz time. And only when Matthew collected it after the birth of Jesus, the post-resurrection memories, and when he's writing his gospel, he's able to connect this prophecy and tell that this prophecy had a future fulfillment and that fulfillment was in Jesus Christ. How was it fulfilled in Isaiah's time? In Isaiah's time, Isaiah went and told Ahaz, the virgin will be with child. Ahaz, you are afraid that your kingdom is going to end and there is not going to be any more rulers because the north is coming to attack you with an allying with Syria. But some virgin in your kingdom, one of the virgins in your kingdom is with child. And this is going to be a sign for you. Read Isaiah chapter 8 and it's verse 1 to 8. And in verse 8 is the literal fulfillment in the time of Isaiah. That child, whoever it was, that lady gave birth. And that lady in Isaiah's time gave the name to that child that was born, Emmanuel. And when King Ahaz and Isaiah heard about it, they knew that this is a symbolic of the prophecy that prophesied by Isaiah. This 
this lady has given birth and that lady has given the name of the child as Emmanuel which literally means that God is with us and Isaiah says very clearly to Ahaz until this child is born and he is raised up and he knows what is right and wrong the northern kingdom will never be able to defeat you and this child was born and the lady named him Emmanuel and that became a sign and that prophecy was fulfilled in their literal sense in the time of Isaiah. But when Matthew is looking back, after the resurrection of Jesus, there is so much of comments going about the virgin birth. And there is so much of comments going about of somebody stealing the body of Jesus and the disciples faking the resurrection. He comes with an apologetic letter and he's telling that when I see the scripture, when I see Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when I see Isaiah chapter 7, I can tell that this Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Amen. What a great God. And he has given us a foolproof way in the scripture. That Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. El is the name of God. And Emmanuel means God with us. And what a beautiful promise of the Advent. That when Jesus came into this world, we are not alone. In our struggles, you and I are not alone. We have God who became flesh and he is with us in the form of Jesus Christ. I was just literally studying this and how beautifully Matthew develops this. Matthew says in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, he says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But post-resurrection time, we are living in the post-resurrection days. And Matthew's audience are such people. They don't have Jesus literally with them. He has ascended and he has gone. But see what beautifully Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 18. And this verse 20. When, when two or three are gathered in my name, we have Emmanuel. God is with us. Church, when we are gathered as a church in the presence of God, the same Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among man is in our midst. And he has been glorified right in this place. Hallelujah. He's God with us. Amen. And you see how Matthew beautifully ends it in Matthew chapter 28. And it was 20. I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not alone. You have the creator God with you always. Even in good times and bad times through the end of the age. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. God with us. The virgin birth connected to the scripture in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 1 verse 24. Now it was easy for Joseph. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He went with his family probably and did the beautiful Wedding ceremony. He did a beautiful wedding ceremony. Now, can Joseph accept Mary as his wife legally? According to the law? I don't think so. If you find that your spouse is not faithful, according to Deuteronomy, you are supposed to give her a certificate of divorce. And what is the certificate of divorce that God gave the laws to the Israelites? 
Go home and read. It is talking about taking the cost that she is not a virgin to her father. And that will be verified by the people. And the father will have to give a proof of her virginity. The provision is there in the Old Testament. How the proof is taken. And then if she is not found to be a virgin in front of the father's house, everybody will come and stone. Stone Mary or the lady to be the adulterous woman, whoever that was, to death. By the time of Jesus, the rabbis had diluted this law and they gave another option. And the problem with Israel was that a lot of the teachers diluted their law and eventually they fell into sin. And this law also they diluted. The real punishment was to stone such people to death. If they were found to be with child or adulterous relationship other than marriage, stone those people to death. Prove their cause and stone them to death. By the time of Joseph, the law had been diluted by the teachers of Israel. And they say that you can also have another option. And that was the option that Joseph took. What is the option? Divorce quietly. Not even a paper of divorce. Just go to her family and say that we find that your ways are not right. And quietly divorce her. Coming back to what I'm speaking. Now, according to the law, Joseph can never take Mary to be his wife. If Joseph has to take Mary as his wife, he has to break the law. And do you know the struggle going on between Jesus and the Pharisees all through in this gospel? Why is Jesus healing in the Sabbath? Why is Jesus breaking the law? And what is the greatest commandment that Jesus gave? Jesus said the greatest commandment in which the law is fulfilled is the commandment of love. And God is proving that through Joseph, through the angel, that even though the law says that you are not permitted to take Mary as your wife, love covers more than the law, and in love you accept her as your wife. And this is exactly what Jesus did, healing on the Sabbath. The law says that you're not to do a work on the Sabbath, but he was motivated by love. And we can find that it was love that God is telling is bigger than the Old Testament law. Friends, what is the first miracle that we can find in the scripture, in the gospels? The first miracle is, I don't think in my understanding, is turning water into wine. But when I see the first miracle is the birth of Jesus Christ to a virgin. And what is Jesus? A small baby. He's born as a baby, helpless like you and I. And the real player, the real actor over here is God the Father. He's sending the angel to Mary. He's sending the angel to Joseph. When the time was not right, he sent another angel and protected Jesus. And then he sent another angel and brought Jesus back. Jesus was just helpless baby when he was born. But the real miraculous person was the father who sent him. And Jesus said, I am the father of one. But God is the great player in this miracle. And you see at the cross of Jesus Christ, again, Jesus is like a lamb before the shearer. He is helpless over there. But Father God is in absolute control. His design and he is in absolute control over the life of Jesus. Friends, there will come situations in our life where we are helpless. 
like a baby. There is nobody to recommend for us. There is nobody to talk for us. But God is always in control over our life. Even when people are trying to harm us, this is God with us. God taking flesh in the form of Jesus and with us. And he's with us always. And he will find a way to protect us and lead us to the purposes of each and every one of our lives. You and I don't have to be discouraged. Emmanuel, God with us, that is Jesus Christ. I want to bring you some learning insights that you can carry away. And maybe you can write down. It can be of some use for you. Some, maybe five learnings from this passage. Number one, the primary reason Jesus came is to save his people from their sins. That you need to underline that. Beyond my sickness, beyond my prosperity, we don't believe that Jesus came to make us worthy and make us rich. No, Jesus came to give salvation from our sins. And that's the primary reason. And the real richness is salvation, not money, physical richness. Okay, the primary reason Jesus came is to save people from their sins. And let me ask you, my audience who is listening to me now and listening to me online, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you asked God to save you from your sins? We are born in sin. Every intention of man's heart is sinful because we were birthed in sin. And the sin has come all the way from the disobedience of man in the garden back in Genesis. But unless you come to a realization that Jesus is the one who came to redeem mankind. You may be whatever religion, whatever educated, but you need redemption of sins. And that can happen only through Jesus Christ. Receive him as the Lord of your life. Give him the lordship. Let him take the throne of your life and ask Jesus to forgive you from your sins. And that moment, you get redemption of your sin. Number two, God uses righteous people. If you are a true to the scripture, if you're true to God, God is willing to use you like you used Joseph and Mary. When God does his work, God will find somebody like Mary and Joseph. The question is, are you willing to be an obedient child of God? Are you willing to be used by God? Do you want God to use you? Then you need to be a person of the scripture and you need to obey the scripture. You need to fulfill the scripture by obedience as much as possible. And God is willing to use you like Mary and Joseph. And he's going to use you in a powerful way. No matter what the difficulty, God will use you provided you are righteous. First of all, asking God to forgive your sins. And then you becoming a good student of the word of God. And you obeying the scripture like Mary and Joseph. Thirdly, obeying God is sometimes not easy. That's why, accept God's will, whatever it might be. Accept God's will, whatever it might be. For Mary, it was difficult to accept the will of God. It was to be living in a bad reputation all through her life. That she had an adulterous relationship because of Jesus. We know that is not true. But people were waiting to pounce on her. She had her bitter times crying because she had a bad reputation. Joseph, it was not easy for Joseph. People all had to speak that this son in your house is not, is your son, Joseph. Following God is sometimes not easy. But we need to accept God's will, whatever it might be in your life. I don't know what situation you're going through. Maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe you're going through pain. Maybe you're going through a job crisis or a family trouble. 
You tell God, I am a child of God, and whatever comes in my way, I will accept it gracefully, because I know if God is with me, I have everything in my sight. Can I hear an amen, church? No matter what is happening in your life, let there be a thanksgiving and tell God, I accept it. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. Let that prayer arise from your heart. You may be sitting here with a lot of trial, a lot of questions. And let that prayer silently go to God. God, let your will be done in this situation. I don't want to do anything. Let your will be done. Accept God's will, whatever it might be. Fourthly, God looks with great concern on purity. God looks with great concern on purity. Young people, married people, all of us. Let us rededicate ourselves for a pure life like that of Mary and Joseph. Joseph did not touch her till the day Jesus was born. He was a man, married legally, staying with her. But the Bible makes it very clear he did not consummate the marriage. He exercised self-control. And look at the life of Mary, a beautiful virgin. So we can find an example of a virgin woman who exercised self-control and a pure virgin. And then we can find in Joseph a man who is staying with a woman but still exercising self-control. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about anything outside marriage. Let's pray that God gives us an ability to live a pure life, moral life. Young people, ask God for that self-control. God, your virginity and purity. And fifthly, what of assurance that we have? God is always with us. People will live. People may come. People may go. People may one day lift you up and one may put you down. But you have a God who is always with you. One thing I've understood. If you have a good status in this world, there are a lot of people to rally around you. But if you don't have a good status, the world will never want to come and associate with you. Nobody wants to associate with a person of a low status. But that's what God does. We were low. We were sinners. We were hated because of our sin. But while we were yet sinners, God loved us. And no matter who lives as friends, this is the assurance of God. God is with us always to the very end.